to bring up i wore it specifically for this episode after hearing that uh that clip (laughs) on your podcast yeah yeah there's a yeah that was funny (laughs) i was like i i took a shower and i was like i have the the shirt the right shirt to wear because i uh i share the same sentiments what was the uh what was the reference to the podcast well basically um when you you know I don't know where you're located if you're in LA or you ever go to LA, but if you ever go there, you end up in just weird situations. Um, you know, with like people who are might be famous elsewhere there, there's just like, oh yeah, it's that famous guy. Anyways, um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I ended up sleeping at Flea's house um <laughs> for a few days. Um, because my friend was uh boning his wife. Um Flea wasn't there. Um we were, I was sleeping on the couch and I wasn't allowed to touch the uh, turntable because it was $50,000. And oh. yeah, weird. <laughs> Had sushi with Anthony Kiedis <laughs> that um, he broke his pubic bone, which to me, it sounds like a red hot jelly pepper lyric. <laughs> and then I broke my pubic bone. Um, um, but he was serious. Damn. So I was like, this is the <laughs> most fucking LA thing ever. Like having sushi with Anthony Kiedis and he's talking about how he broke his pubic bone. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> how that do you was the fu- that? I, I think the wording of what you said where you, the movie was like like a vanity project documentary about surfing and yes. Anthony Kiedis was like something very tragic happened to me when I went surfing last or some shit like that, like the wording, whatever he said, it was so fucking funny. Yeah. When I do the podcast, I write it down so I can get all my thoughts in order. But yes, um, to be perfectly chronological about it, a friend of mine is like a big shot at a movie company. And he was like, I was trying to get in my music into some movies or, you know, just like hustle around. And he's like, I'm going to this film opening. Would you like to come? And um, it was like, yeah complete vanity project and it was about surfing and Anthony Kiedis was there and he's like really short which I feel like all celebrities when you meet them are really short but I don't know <laughs> all the muscly kind of ones are uh-huh. these ones who 
project themselves as larger than life. You know, he's kind of yeah. short guy, like really short, like wearing a, and I'm short, but he was like really short, um, which who cares, but he was wearing a leather jacket and he was, he seemed very dour and I don't know, not very excited to be alive. And people like that suck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, you know, he's like, I tell you something, man, when you're out there on that ocean, it's like, uh, it's a whole other place, man. You feel that immense power. And it's like, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> the strings. <laughs> I mean, you know, Californication. He, he, he knows. He knows what's up. But yeah, I feel that it's like celebrities being short and having that complex. It's kind of like the one you think about most is like Prince was like notoriously like super, super short. Um, notoriously short. Notoriously. Notorious for being short. Yeah, I read the Sylvester Stallone biography called A Rocky Life. Um, and it shows him <laughs> like in the movie Cliffhanger, like between two rocks. Um, <laughs> uh, it's very, very cool book. Um, uh-huh. so yeah, he had a wife, Brigitte Nielsen. You might remember her from Rocky four as the evil Soviet's wife. Uh, she was, she got married to, uh, Stallone. She was actually still married to someone else, but basically she was so tall that Stallone had to like have these special platform heels, uh, made, you know, to stand next to his wife. No, I don't right. know. I, it's, uh, I was going to say, you do, cool. like, you have some, like, video, like, some Rambo edits on your, like, <laughs> YouTube. You have, like, yeah. kind of a Stallone fa- fixation. Yeah, I do. I, you know, I, um, I love great works of art, but I also really love camp and just, you know, things that are horrible, like, clearly horrible. Huh. Um, and... Like not the Rocky like, franchise. Not like they're in on it kind of horrible, like with William Shatner and the Priceline commercials. Right. Like now he's in on the joke and it just makes you want to vomit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's the Ben like, Folds collaborations too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's more like what Frank Zappa called cocaine decisions. Um, like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like people so high on their own supply and on this crazy ego trip and steroids and just everything's glistening and um, i i watched this movie on like amazon prime it was a documentary and it was like about this guy who wants to be sylvester stallone but he wants to be rocky and he like lives his life cosplaying as rocky oh i love that i've got the best stallone story oh well maybe it's not the best oh yeah sorry to interrupt well i mean this trailer is amazing like uh, I don't know, Aaron, if you could find like the trailer for this, because like he's really serious. And then in the trailer, he's like, yeah, man, I just I want to be Rocky. And it's like him, like running up the stairs and doing all the shit at like various phases of his life. It's, what's it, what's it's actually what is it called? I want to say it's called. Um, hold on. Let me look it up. The Pretender. Uh, the Pretender. Exactly. Yeah. Jacob found it. And the trailer alone, I feel like it's like really short and it's just like insane. And I, I recommend the doc. It's like pretty interesting. And I guess it could be about like any fictional character, but it's just uh, very weird that it's Rocky and it's like this guy's entire fucking life. Well, okay. I have that link. Um, before we play it though, would, would we like to introduce our, this week's very special <laughs> guest? Before we get too Absolutely. carried away talking about 
S- Sylvester Stallone, which we could talk the whole time about him, but yeah. don't want to get too yeah. carried away. <laughs> well, today we have a musician, Bill Baird, who uh, performs under his own name and was also part of Sunset and Sound Team. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. It's a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, pleasure's mine. Um, yeah, I've been like a huge fan. I want to say I found your music when I was uh, still in high school, maybe like 2007, 2000, maybe just after high school, like 2008 on, I want to say the first place I found it was on this private uh, torrent sharing community called Indie Torrents, which was like, you could only upload stuff that was not RIA owned. And uh, I, I guess like somebody that was a huge fan of yours, like put up a bunch of the sunset stuff and I found it. And then I found, I, I want to say like MySpace or wherever music was <laughs> being era. nice pure volume or whatever the fuck was around then. It was like yeah. pre Facebook. Yeah. I go um, back. I, I had stuff on mp3.com. Oh yeah. Mm. Dude, I was, remember when they shut it down. MP3.com yeah, was special. Garageband.com. That was good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, you know, I was I I would say when I was in middle school was like I got on Napster and my parents were like, Don't download any music. They're like finding people and like <laughs> suing them for like fifty million dollars for downloading one song. And I was like, Yeah, whatever. I have to download like this punk cover of Gilligan's Island by some ska band or whatever the fuck I was downloading <laughs> Incubus or something. <laughs> that's worth how you know. much money. Whatever. <clears throat> One of my yeah. favorite things that you do, Jeff, every time we have a musician on is you tell them how you stole their music. The <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, I tell them how I discovered their music, but that being said, you always pay it back though. I have, I have Jeff has an itemized s- list of uh, receipts and, and invoices for all of the discography he has well, legally purchased for every artist. No, I, I mean, I have, a discogs pa- I have a Discogs page if that's what you're talking exactly. about. But exactly. I, looked at, I looked at my Discogs after uh, I reached out to Bill about coming on the pod and I was like, you know, I have about like seven or eight of his albums and I was going to say about your career, you have put out like a huge body of work and it's all like very different and you're always like moving with it and working on like multimedia projects. And I find it really interesting that, you know, you're an artist that actually like keeps up with adapting and like evolving and doing something new and unique and not like relying on yeah, I mean, one, one thing. The goal is, yeah, it's just the goal is survival in a way. Um, you just if you repeat the same thing, if you do things that are familiar, then you kind of die. Um, so uh, I just try to, you know, I just want I I'm in this for life, and you know, I just want to keep moving my whole life. In the end, I think, you know, whether I make money or not or whatever, I think hopefully the songs will speak for themselves, and you know, the images, the sounds, um, you know, and I, long after I'm dust. <laughs> who cares yeah it's all you can do really yeah um yeah it's uh i think i've put out 34 records now mm. um <laughs> i mean it depends on how you define a record i came out of tape culture which you like 
you make an album for your friends and there's like five copies of it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't, you know, I don't count those as albums, but it's just sort of like that when my, that's how I developed in relation to music. You're just making things all the time. Um, I, yeah, I like letting go of things because then new, new ideas arrive. Um, that's why I like to keep moving. I love, yeah, discovering that new idea. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm basically, uh, <laughs> I'm a junkie searching for my next high. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it's about. We had, uh, last week we had like David Paho on and he's kind of like, you know, like a transient, like nomadic musician that joined a bunch of bands and like had various projects in and out of like being in an existing project for a period and then doing his own thing. Yeah. And it's like, it is that survival, like, you know, just like staying interested. So it doesn't get boring. And it's like, you know, you, you have had throughout your career, like ups and downs with your previous project, like sound team and like Capitol records and shit like that. And it's like, you know, you've seen what people do to make it quote unquote in the industry. And it's like, do the people that make it, even enjoy what they're doing at the end of the day or have like complete control over their vision. It's like, it's so much more fulfilling just, you know, to do what you see and think and like put it into the world yourself. And like when the people find it, it's like pure, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I'm not obsessed with purity by any means. And um, I'm not afraid of success or money or anything. It, It definitely changes things. Um, cool thing about you know if you are able to elevate so that more people can see it then you get to work with other people um you know i think there's this notion that um you know we assign all the praise or blame on one person but usually it's like a lot of people um who may not get all the credit um so it's cool like when you get to work with great people that's the best part about success or money or anything but you know it's like nobody wants to get a people just want to get on board a moving train. So I figure, I mean, if I'm ever going to do anything again, I just got to start on my own and not wait <laughs> for, in, you know, just, just keep going. Yeah, man. I mean, you haven't stopped. Um, what was the, uh, the last album you put out was 2020, the standard uh, deviation record yeah. or have you? Yeah. I recorded that in my in-laws closet. <laughs> Nice. with a sampler and um i think it's pretty cool but you know it's a bit of a departure i didn't have any instruments and well i had a bass and a sampler um so and like a voice pitch shifter mm-hmm. so it's pretty different and then there's and, some spoken word bits um and then before that it was more like i don't know i feel like it's my best rock and roll record it's called flower children's children's children which you know, it's, I guess that's flower grandchildren. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, it was basically like me reflecting on being a Lyft driver in San Francisco for several years and just seeing all the <laughs> bizarre culture mm. happening. It's crazy. I, um, I went to San Francisco uh, one year ago today, I was, I went, me and my partner took a, like a six day trip at right before COVID 
like really hit and uh, everything shut down. So I got this like last vacation in and today is the one year of like our first full day. Like yesterday we would have just flown in one straight like to the Airbnb. But today, like on the, like on this day, one year ago, my phone or whatever, it's just like pictures of me at like the Golden Gate Bridge and like Mirror Woods. And I'm just like, man, I would kill. Like I'm, we're all in New York. So we're all just like in apartments and shit. I would kill to be in like San Francisco again and feel the freedom of like traveling and seeing people and going places. Yeah. yeah the West coast is pretty special, but um, they got their own set of problems. I had to move back to San Antonio, Texas, which is my hometown, which I swore I would never move back here, but here I am. Um, it's cool. Cause I'm on, you know, half an acre and I've, you know, I've got a geodesic dome I made and, you know, planted an orchard and, hmm. you know, building a pond and, you know, sh- that kind of shit that you can't do in an apartment. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. You can't you, build a pond in a geodesic dome in an apartment. It's tough. Anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, and listen, I've been trying. I've been trying to build a pond in my apartment for years. <laughs> Hasn't worked out yet. It's called a bathtub, dude. That's right. It came with it came with one, but I'm trying to make it bigger, and it, I don't really know how to do it. So you get a break the wall. everywhere. <laughs> I was watching something about. Um, I think it was like this couple in Sweden who made like a greenhouse over their house. Apparently, that's like a Ooh. thing that's picking up there. They're doing like a bunch of these like like greenhouses. So it's like climate controlled too because it's in like a greenhouse environment, but the house is inside of it. It's like so biodome. Yeah, yeah, like biodome kind of stuff. <laughs> but it makes Speaking sense of, somewhere like that because it's so cold. And if you're like able to grab in some of that that heat. You know, this is a unique synchronicity that you mentioned that this even came up and that you said it's like biodome because so on this day, one year ago, my partner and I took like a bus tour around to various places in San Francisco. We went to the Golden Gate Bridge and Muir Woods. But right when we got on the bus driving uh, to the first destination, we drove past a comedy club and bought tickets to the show that night, which happened to be Pauly Shore. Yeah. And I have a picture with mm. me and my partner and Pauly Shore from one year ago. I, I wow. will say that it was not a uh, great idea and that Pauly Shore does not. Uh, he definitely has a a darkness. I believe around this <laughs> t- around this time last year, I think I talked about this experience on the podcast. Um, but yeah, he definitely. I uh, met him after the performance, which was not free of problematic language. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, he, there's definitely like something something missing behind his eyes you know yeah i think la can do that to people man i think yeah i think you gotta be pretty strong out there it'll turn you to plastic Mm -hmm. and his mom was like mitzi like the famous owner of the comedy store he was like babysat by like sam kinnison and all these like crate and like you know all these like drug addict uh stand-up comics wow yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, I think it kind of fucks you up to be the children of famous people. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I, but I maybe Biodome wouldn't have been as good if he wasn't as troubled. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've never yeah. seen that movie. I had what? to Google it. What's the, what is the plot of the movie? Because you brought it up after talking about... Um, they build like a, a Biodome he that gets stuck is with like one of the Baldwins. 
Yeah, I think it's Stephen Brothers <laughs> with uh, dreadlocks, with blonde dreadlocks in the movie. Uh, at the Holy show, smokes. I bought a sign, a signed print, a glossy print from Biodome of him. I had to do it. Wow! So I have that. It's here. I didn't break it out because I didn't know that uh, this would be so integral to the episode. But it's here <laughs> to Je- to Jeff. Um, <laughs> to Jeff, <laughs> he signed it. But. Um, well, yeah, speaking speaking of uh, famous people, uh, do you want to watch this Sylvester Stallone documentary trailer? Um, oh yeah, because I know it's a bit of a left turn back to what we were talking about, but uh, it seems kind of relevant. So I can share my screen here. It's a uh, it's it's pretty good, and it, I think the movie itself is only like eighty minutes or something. It's totally like one sitting. Yeah, you know. It's like okay. a bathroom book of uh, documentaries. Yeah. All right. Let me. All right. Here, here's this trailer. It's called The Pretender. Hmm. My mother, she would say to me, you know, what are you going to do with yourself, Michael? What are you going to do? There's nothing that just hit me that I wanted to do. I wanted to be Rocky. That's what I wanted to be. He looks more like Al Pacino. Uh, we have our conversations at night. She's going, Mike, uh, how are we going to get this kid to realize he's got to get his education? We were kept saying, oh, well, he's going to put money together. He's going to go to college and he's going to do all this stuff. I, I did try. I had like 25 or 30 jobs. Sometimes oh we don't know where Rocky is. He's jogging. He's doing the classic Rocky jog. It begins. Nothing Five. ever held my focus. I was I was afraid that he was taking so many shots from everybody. <laughs> this is amazing. He was becoming better at his fantasy. When you go home at the end of the day, can you live with yourself? Did you do the best that you could? And that's the message I got when I was a kid. And most days I didn't. Most days I was so aggravated and frustrated with myself. Oh, looks when like it him. comes to this. He, yeah, he does. I feel like I could do anything. But like. Oh, to make a career out of it. <laughs> wow. That looks pretty interesting. That looks like scene. a good dog. I mean, <laughs> Did you say you watched the dog? Jeff, yeah, I watched, you, you I, I've it? watched it like oh I've watched it like twice. Uh that. that's it's pretty list. good. Cheesesteaks um, are a hell of a drug. That's all I'm gonna say. You have a couple of those Philly cheese cheesesteaks. Once you have a couple of Philly cheesesteaks. <laughs> yeah, dude, that shit's potent as hell. Yeah, you get re- you're like, you know what? I might take a boxing. I don't know if I remember correctly. I feel like he like tries to meet him and like Stallone like isn't really interested or oh, like man. he does meet him and it's like really it's awkward. I can't remember, but it was it was interesting. I definitely say it's worth a watch. But Bill, you said you had like a crazy Stallone story. Maybe we can tie uh, it. Oh, this is really <laughs> random. Um, I was in an ashram in India, like way deep in the Himalayan mountains, you know, and. <laughs> Um, or with this guy who people believe is like the incarnation of whatever. And then <clears throat> there's this guy chanting like really loudly down by the Ganges River, just like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he's just going on for days. Finally, I go down there and he's down there and he's got a giant picture of Sylvester Stallone. Um, and also a giant statue of Hanuman. Hanuman's like the protector God who looks like a monkey. Uh And he called it, but this guy down by the river, he was worshiping Sylvester Stallone. 
um, and <laughs> chanting to Sylvester Stallone. It's, he called him Sylvester Stylin. Um, <laughs> Sylvester Stylin. And um, <laughs> oh he believed that Sylvester Stylin was the incarnation of Hanuman. Uh, yeah. Uh, did he did he explain like was it after seeing like Rambo or something? Or? Yeah, exactly. He was here to show uh, humanity the ways of strength and um, to be strong. I don't know. He didn't. You know, it, it, the thought process uh, it went about half a step deep. It was like he's strong. <laughs> um, you know, as you might imagine from somebody who worships Sylvester Stallone as a deity, um, it didn't seem super well thought out, but um, well, he had, <laughs> it's like I'm in a very remote location and he trekked all the way there and he was, you know, chanting and worshiping Sylvester Stallone. I mean, listen, if you're willing to do that much work, you probably believe some part of it, you know, it's, it's probably... Uh, uh, he believed it. He, he My thing... <laughs> he must have seen the second. He must have seen the second Rambo movie because I walk like I've seen the first one like a million times. But I did watch it like through a critical lens in college in like a literature class about war, and we watched it. And it's like he's clearly like traumatized and suffering from post traumatic okay. stress disorder. Okay, here's a, here's another thing I got about those movies. Okay, so it's there's no Rambo 1. It's First Blood. It's First Blood, That's yeah. Right. And then First Blood Part 2 colon Rambo and then Rambo 3. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> it's like That's it just really... kind, of, kind of makes the leap. There's no Rambo 1 or 2. I don't think two. I ever <laughs> realized that. That's it's a bit of a Berenstein Bears situation going yeah. on here. Uh, the Mandela, yeah. yeah. What if, um, what if the first movie he saw by him was like that that softcore porno, like the Italian Stallion that he did or whatever <laughs> in the seventies? That's the real first Rambo. That's yeah. the, yeah. about it's, the, it's Rambo Zero. Rambo Zero, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's man, in the same uh, universe. <laughs> yeah, Rambo. Rambo Three is excellent. He, have you seen that one? Yes. Or he's he's like Colonel Troutman shows up. <laughs> I uh I've I, seen I, all of them except the the re, like the current ones that came out like uh Yeah. Wasn't there one what was it like 2015 or something or Yeah, I feel like those were influenced by that movie Saw or something. Yeah. Kind of like I, kind of I haven't I haven't seen any of that. the new Yeah, I haven't seen any of the new ones, but I heard some of them got like really like like people were not entertained because it was like so gratuitously violent and like yeah. beyond tasteful. Like it was just like too much. But yeah. Here's, it. here's an amazing fact I learned that um, <laughs> this absolutely insipid film on Netflix called Homefront starring Home Jason Front. Statham. Uh, you know, he's just an every man uh, living down in Mississippi or something um, yeah. you know, with his, accent or whatever um that movie was originally supposed to be a rambo movie wow oh. okay <laughs> yeah and it didn't cut it so they just turned it into like a jason statham like uh, i think the film. script was just like hanging around but basically stallone's too old you know it's like right yeah. right it's not gonna happen they should, well, they they need, should get they the need guy to from a, the documentary <laughs> well or they could do a creed situation where they they keep making right. rocky movies but it's not rocky it's creed so they need to mm. find a successor to Rambo. They need to traumatize a young twenty-something and and throw mm. them into the woods. 
uh, See, but I Rambo's only saw, like training him, right? I only saw like the first new Rocky movie. Like it came out when I was like in high school. It's the one where, with like his son or whatever, the first one. And mm. I watched it because I was fulfilling my last PE credit. And <laughs> I took, I took, I took golf class, which was yes. <laughs> go behind the baseball field and hit foam golf balls. But one day a week, we were in like a portable. Yeah, that was the whole class. So I would show up like, I would show up super, super high every day. Um, And one day a week, we watched movies in a portable. And we were watching golf-related movies until we ran out. So we watched like Happy Gilmore and like Bagger Vance. And then I think... Caddyshack. They let us watch Cat Caddyshack with like a waiver because it was rated R. A <laughs> you had to wow. get a waiver to watch Caddyshack but, in golf but class. Then, but then we ran out of golf movies and we watched other sports movies and we watched that first like revived Rocky movie. And I haven't seen any of the ones since. But I remember that one being like, all right. Like, I feel like Rocky isn't the boxer. He's just like around like in a fedora or whatever. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember. Vibing, 100%. Yeah. Classic Sylvester um, Stallone fashion. Proto fedora. <laughs> well, I was probably super high in that class watching it. Cause the first, that was second hour and first hour. I was like a student aide for a teacher's class where I was supposed to like help her like grade her papers. And she was the ex TV production teacher. So I had her for like four years before that. Cause I took like TV up to like TV production five. And um, the, like the second day of class, I came in to grade the papers and she's like, you know, you don't have to come every day. So after she said that I didn't ever come back and um, <laughs> I would just show up high, like straight, like I would smoke like a joint and show up like in my those foam golf balls. Right. I'd show up in the PE <laughs> uniform already. Cause that was my first like class of the day. So I didn't have to like change in the locker room when I got there and I would just be like, hi. And we would just go and, you know, fucking watch, uh, Rocky, whatever 12 or whatever the fuck it is. And, uh, happy Gilmore. And, yeah, that was a uh, PE. That that's how I earned my Florida PE credit for my mm. high school diploma. Amazing. Florida. Florida, yeah. Unfortunately. Oh, cool. Once uh <laughs> once this this coronavirus shit's over, we need to get you one of those indoor uh driving range memberships so you can just hit some golf balls, maybe relive some memories. There's so many videos Connect of people like falling of people falling off the top level. Have you seen that? Like people hitting no. and they like step over because it's no like way. on a platform. <laughs> yeah, they're like they're on, they're on all those like cringe TikTok compilations and stuff uh-huh. like that. I've never seen those before. Well, we will be it's doing pretty- that after the virus is over. We will be it's falling funny. off I, of some. I was on the golf team until I discovered weed, basically. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, once I discovered weed, I was like, yeah, this shit's boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I we would just the, make like. I got into guitars. Yeah, right. <laughs> we would just make euphemisms like about weed with. We'd be like, oh, you gotta like, you gotta hit it and get on the green to get a hole in one. <laughs> you know, it was like really, uh, really lowbrow. Mm. Uh, golf weed jokes. I did a golf. But, uh, I did a golf like cl- like extracurricular after school thing for like a month, and like 
the teacher was like this kind of weird older dude probably in his 60s or so and he would like <laughs> offer cash incentives for like hitting targets and stuff so like he was like all right guys see that target out there i'll give you five bucks if you can hit it and so like he was just like <laughs> handing out bills to these like 10 year olds like doing the golf thing and like at the time it was like this is sick but like looking back i'm like that dude was just giving out cash to these children it's he was trying to find that. the kind of weird he, he was he was trying to find the best soldier so he could like yeah. manipulate them into like golf becoming soldiers. some Manchurian candidate golf mm. person for you dude. like when you I don't call the golf team, we would like be you know by a residential area or by cars or whatever and uh-huh. then we would have bets it's like okay first one to get a ball through that windshield gets 10 bucks <laughs> Hell yeah. Okay, I want second floor window. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. We it's were just literally like the fucking balls. <laughs> it's it's like that so many scene windows. Of, uh, we were just such assholes. Yeah. Like, that's hilarious. I mean, it's like that uh that beginning scene of like Happy Gilmore where he like drives it through the house and it like hits that dude like way far and he falls out of the window and just like squarely hits him in the head. good segue since we're talking about sport and sports or whatever but like bill i never knew this about you being like the national anthem singer for the double a baseball team and i read that in preparation for the podcast can we talk about that experience um it was just uh yeah it was uh one of those bizarre things i don't know it's uh it was uh, <laughs> hard to describe. I'm I'm not actually that great of a singer, you know. <clears throat> How did you like come in contact? So, uh, for the listeners, Bill became like like the I guess national anthem singer for what, was it every game, home game, or yeah, yeah. And uh, what was the team? Somehow, it, it was the Memphis Mud Hens or. Ver- uh, Victoria, Virginia, something. Wait, but I feel like Richmond. Yeah, Richmond. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. I, I can relate because I feel like so. I read that you ended up like donning like the mascot costume, and I can relate because I worked uh, at the Strand, like the famous bookstore in Union yeah. Square. And I ended up having to dress up in the costumes for like the children book readings on Saturday mornings after working all night (laughs) to like five in the morning at a bar the night before. 
and uh, I would have to put on the costumes and it was summer. I only worked there for like, like a little over a month. Um, and then they, they fired me for calling in sick once, which uh, <laughs> says a lot, that, a lot about them as a, a business, but yeah. um yeah, well, the I costumes would, kind of free you. It, you. it rewards outlandish behavior, you know? Um, uh, so you have sure. to exaggerate everything and, you know, throw, I don't know. I'm kind of a subdued guy, but yeah, costume kind of makes you jump around, wave, you know, and get that mm-hmm. crowd reaction. Um, so know. I would wear the, uh, the Dora the Explorer the and Pete the Cat costumes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like May. <laughs> in New York and it was like a million degrees. I literally couldn't move. And they're like, just nod your head up and down if you need to get out of the costume. And someone will lead you through the store oh. to a place where you can take off the the like <clears throat> the top of the costume, the head, without like destroying the children that were there. <laughs> it's it's crazy. <laughs> By like, breaking the illusion. That's incredible. Do you it was do bad. you wonder if as a child you perceived like the co- like a giant costume door the explorer is a real door the explorer i don't like, know is the I, illusion door the there? explorer didn't exist when i was a kid that's true yeah. but i wish i could go back and i could i could like put my brain as like a 6 year old into seeing giant door the explorer and whether or not i'd be like that's real or, when i was a kid i don't, Barney, I don't, I don't even like think i remember i don't even think i remember f- rationalizing it but i did go mm. to Ch- i had a Chuck E. cheese birthday party i was at one time i don't know if it was mine oh, yeah. or someone else's but when that fucking big Chuck E. cheese came out <laughs> i was like this get this fucking demon out of here i was like Charles i want none cheese. of this so, the animatronic pizza rat yeah all i all i all i cared about was getting away from it i didn't really <laughs> think about whether it was real or fake but it was gonna hurt me and i didn't want that to happen that's all i knew it's one of those like kaiju in the yeah. in the Godzilla <laughs> movie. Basically, I was gonna say I also was watching a video you made, Bill, and there was like the animatronic Chuck E. Cheese. Oh yeah, in the video. So this is all. This is very uh, synchronistic. Oh, or, uh, I, I worked as a pizza man for beers. I I feel like pizza rat is a very appropriate thing because there's so many rats. I like when I worked at Domino's. Mm. It was fucking. It was crazy how many rats there were. Crazy. Wow! Oh yeah, yeah. I um work. I I've worked in restaurants and bars in New York City most of the time I've lived here, and uh, it's like you're gonna see it. I mean, it exists everywhere. Like, in the, it's impossible. No matter how clean like your business is, like there's gonna be at least like a couple rats or mice like in the winter, like run by, like in the back by the dumpster or wherever. And it's like it's really just like insane how many there are in the city i've literally been pushing like a giant dumpster and had one like jump out and like hit me in the chest at like five in the morning and like scurry away yeah, uh, these rats were jumping running around on the pe- on the place where we make the pizza <laughs> jesus <laughs> fucking christ was there, there was no way to like whistleblow this like was there there was no like youtube to take like a quick video and be like step it up Papa John's or wherever the fuck it was. Uh, I don't know. <clears throat> Miami, I don't know. It was a, uh, yeah, it was my first exposure to this weird belief that, you know, they're inserting brain chips into humans or whatever. My manager was a guy named Ray Marine. He wore coaching shorts and um, he would always get us to huddle up and stuff. And so, yeah, there were a lot of rats and 
we came back from a long weekend and he said, well, let's just say, you know, we ain't going to have no more rat problem, but the health inspector probably wouldn't approve of my methods. Um, (laughs) He didn't explain what that meant, but I assume it meant he covered all of the food prep area with poison. Poison is what I'm thinking. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That was that was cool, but it's, the it's best a, part of that job is I, yeah. I delivered a pizza to Michael Bolton. That was best part of that. Wow, mm-hmm. what was that yeah. like? Um, it was you know, you know, it's it was weird. Uh, Ray Marine came to me and was like, "I heard you're a musician," and I'm like, "Yeah," and so he's like, "Well, I have an order of fifty six chicken wings and seventy two pizzas, um, and it's going to a famous guy and." I, they didn't say who. And so um, I drove to the stadium, the Austin Stadium, um, and like went through the... I got multiple passes and there was like all these women screaming. And then I went up to the bus and I looked at the order. It said Michael Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, my life has hit a new peak. <laughs> uh-huh. Now, my question is, what was the what was the tip like the tip percentage yeah put them on blast yeah he gave they gave me five bucks <laughs> <laughs> um and it was Michael. like a five hundred dollar order or something. oh Jesus, that's a one percent tip <laughs> that is Fuck you, insanity Michael Bolton, yeah, you've been canceled for being a listener bad of the podcast Michael Bolton famous if listener you're this future yeah, guest yeah, he's uh I've got his I've got one of his VHS home videos. Um it's pretty incredible. He kind of reinvented himself by doing the Lonely Island thing, right? That's all I know yeah, him from. I know. I'm, if I'm being completely honest, that's like the only concrete thing I can cite of his. Like I know Jack I've heard Sparrow. his songs, but like I don't know them, you know. Yeah, he's a he's a baseball player. He was a, he was I think he was like in going to the minor leagues or something. Um oh. he's he was big into baseball. His name was Mike at that <laughs> I you know, <laughs> I think he um he he's trying to kind of style himself as a Joe Cocker type mm. uh, you know, crooner guy. He's yeah. got the flowing locks and you know, women really go crazy for him. I think because he's quite romantic and you know he's got the flowing locks and you know mm. maybe he was a baseball player and um and yeah it's very romantic uh oh, kind yeah. of luther vandross kind of smooth as silk like rub you down with uh olive oil mm. thing yeah i think the uh the biggest like cultural touchstone with him before the um before the lonely island thing was like the joke in office space where the character is named Michael Bolden, but everyone keeps like bringing up the musician to him and he gets pissed off every time. Uh Yeah. Um, But yeah, I was, I was going to say Bill. So the, when I first moved to New York, I guess it was maybe like six or seven months after I moved here, I went and saw you play at the silent barn and um, (laughs) you were at that show. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it was so, you know, I had just moved to New York and I knew some people from Florida, but I had like kind of a weird relationship with them when I moved here because of some like uh, some living situation 
gone awry issues. Uh, so I didn't know a lot of people to go to shows. So I, I went by myself and I, I, I think it was like, it was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. And, um, I lived pretty close to the silent barn and I was like very stoked. Cause at this point I probably had like, like four of your records on vinyl and had been listening to like the sunset, like pink cloud, stuff like that. Uh, glowing city for like a couple years. Um, cause the show was in 2015 yep. and I remember I, I didn't know anybody there. So I was talking to this one dude who was being super friendly, but he was like a Hasidic, a young Hasidic dude. You could tell he had the, like the seat seat, like hanging out of his shirt and he had his like keeper, but he was like crip walking around the venue between sets like people were outside smoking or whatever so the floor was kind of empty and they were playing like like dancey like kind of trip hoppy stuff in between and he was just like fucking moving around like he What's looked your background? like yeah well that was my from that day my facebook status was about it <laughs> and then there's a picture of him that's like out you can see the top of his head that's like out of um sight and I looked up the the status because I remember it being funny, and I was reading the comments. And apparently later he was freestyling, and I was trying to get his rap name, which is unconfirmed in the status comments. So I don't remember what it was, but I remember him talking to me, and he was like up here, you know, like doing like the Hasidic Jewish thing, like going to like um, the shul and like going through the process of like becoming a rabbi or whatever. And, you know, he expressed that there was like this, like secret, like desire for like New York nightlife that is happens amongst their community. And they have to like sneak out and like have these experiences like secretly. Cause it's like against, you know, um, the, the rules of like strict Orthodox Judaism mm -hmm. And uh, he was like drinking and shit. And, you know, I worked at a bar, uh, like bar slash comedy club in Park Slope leading up to the pandemic. Uh, and on like slow Wednesday nights, like the Hasidic uh, community would like come in and like sit in the very back, like on a date, you know, because yeah, right, um, right, right. they couldn't be, they didn't want to be seen. But uh, it was very interesting meeting that dude. But I, I want to say that show was super interesting. You, you did something really cool that I had never been to a performance like that before where you had like the audience, their movements and dancing triggered the sounds that you played. Mm -hmm. uh, can you like talk about that process and like how you thought that up? Cause that shit was like really cool. Thanks. Um, I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I can talk about, a little bit about my different experiments with that. Um, so, you know, I'm, you know, basically I'm a kind of, I'm not like great at an instrument, you know, I, but I love sound and I love working with people who are great at instruments. Uh, the hard part sometimes is communicating, you know, at a, at a level that's interesting to them. So <clears throat> what you're searching for is interesting ways to control behavior, basically. So, you you know there's this thing called conduction where like say i'm i've got my arm and if i at the highest point of my arm is the highest note on your instrument 
and the lowest point on my arm is the lowest point. And so you give a person, a really good musician that instruction. And then you say, when I twiddle my fingers like this, you go, you can create like a hundred different instructions and give it to a great musician. And then all of a sudden it's like, you can literally translate motion or, or anything into a sound. Um, so, um, at some shows, I was doing, you know, where I would, if you walk to the back wall, that's the lowest point. Uh, that's the lowest volume on your instrument. The front wall is the highest. And then left and right, maybe you're moving between notes on a G scale. You're just moving up and down a scale. So all the musicians are watching me or whoever move around the room. And they're, it's like real time, I don't know. It's called stochastic notation. It's basically like mm. you're giving notation in real time using like the chaos of real life. Mm. Um, I was doing that on a computer as well using a hacked Connect camera. It's like Xbox infrared camera where mm -hmm. like it reads an XYZ pattern. Um, from your body and um, so you can assign it. it it gets outputted as like MIDI values right so um, you can assign it however you want you can do volume you can do pitch you can move up and scale it can control synthesizers you know I was using that so um, I think at that particular show I was kind of like you know it's all fun right but you know it's kind of exploring issues or whatever. Anyways, there, it was a, it's about identity or something. I, I don't want to bullshit my head off, but basically there's a guy dressed exactly the same as me, wearing a wig. He looks just like me, and he's copying all of my movements. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then his movements are getting fed into the computer, which are triggering samples, and the samples are old videos of me. <laughs> Dude, it was awesome. That's amazing. Like, honestly... It's Something just, yeah, I could go on and on about this shit. There's 20th century experimental music, just like, you know, you can use the, you can use these tools to make like really bizarre things, or you can make, use it to make like wonderful things to listen to. It, it all depends on how you interpret the data, but, um, right. You can create a piece of music that is unreproducible. Um, it, it's unique every single time. And, you know, I think the first time I heard about that was, Music for 18 Musicians by Steve Reich, which is mm -hmm. right. Yeah, you know. Um, so I just love the idea where every time it's a new thing. Um, you know. yeah, I love you stuff like, like that. I, I there's a film I watched in school where it was a 16 millimeter film of just a landscape, like a park or some trees. I can't remember what it was, and I'm blanking on the title of this film. So forgive me if I don't. <laughs> Uh, know exactly what it's called or who who made it, but um, the shutter was attached to a fan, and so as the wind blew, it would spin the shutter, and cool. so therefore, uh, faster wind would mean a faster shutter, um, which would mean slower motion when you play it back. So like if people were walking by and the wind got really fast, the shutter would be open for shorter mm, because amazing. it was spinning, but then as the wind goes down time speeds up because each frame is being exposed for less time and then until the film is completely white but then it stops and you see when you play it back you just get like a as the you get a, a breeze and then you get like 
time slows down and then it goes back and fades to white. It's just like, I love stuff like that. Like the, the, it's just purely mechanical chaos, but it produces something. And in a way it's like when I do these things that are so abstract and about color and tech interaction, uh, it gives me like, it, it kind of refuels my tank for doing things that are actually quite personal and, you know, songs, stuff like that. And then I can, it's sort of like, yeah, I love being able to do that. It's like when I used to paint, I would have a bunch of paintings. And then when you get bored of one, you just move to the next. So, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. I well, love you that. also, for that, for the uh, Summer is Gone album, you set up that website. And yeah, that, I mean, that, I had the idea, but I'm not a web designer again. So mm-hmm. it's like, that's the beauty of working with people who are really great at what they do. You know, you get, you get some, you know, yeah. Very stoned idea. <laughs> well, so, well, for the should listeners, I, it was like a website. Kind of no, no, it's great. I mean, so the website, everyone that went on, it was like a different user experience and a different like version of the album for mm. every individual person. Every time, always different. Yeah. Such a cool like way to release music that's like unlike any other and also like impossible to like pin into like a physical form that everybody can like ha- like explain the same experience through. So there's no way f- for you to just like read a review of it and be like, oh, I know what it's like. Like you actually have to experience it yourself. Yeah. I mean, there's a straight version of the album. It's like the clean, cleaner mixes. Um, but basically um, the album is about loss and death and the ephemeral nature of the world. You know, it's mostly about the changing nature of things and how you wish you could stop time and hold on to time, you know, the, the good moments, but you just can't. Um, so it seemed appropriate. It's one of those rare moments where like form and content kind of line up and that's always the goal, right? So I was like, well, since it's about how you, nothing can ever be held on to and can't be repeated, then why don't we just set it up so that, you know, you're hearing a unique mix that will never be repeated again. Um, mm. yeah, and so you, basically uh, it was like, there was 250 different mixes of all, of all the songs. And then, um, so it just would randomly assemble it sort of like the way you do a factorial in math. Um, so if there's 10 songs and, you know, I can't remember the math exactly, but it was, it will take like two and a half million years to go through all the sequences. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that reminds me, there's this, uh, this, I think it was an article I read a little while ago on medium, but it was a direction to someone's site where he used like a specific, like stochastic, uh, Markov process to generate extra bars of an Aphex twin song. So it was like cool. this Aphex twin song. He like really liked and so he wrote like a essentially like train to Markov chain to like continually generate more and more of this Aphex twin song. Yeah. <laughs> That's so See, cool. Pretty yeah, interesting it. stuff. It's cool. I mean, it's fascinating. I, I feel like that's what Spotify will be eventually. It's collecting all this yeah. data and eventually it's just going to create a AI that's so smart it's just gonna create a perfect song for you based right. on your listening preferences. It's kind of scary, uh, but you know, I was going to ask what you thought sure. of Spotify, like, you know, uh, uh, as someone that's, yeah. It's great for discovering things, but, you know, it's like, <clears throat> I, you know, I have like a whole bucket of thoughts about paying for music. I think, you know, 
humans have developed alongside music. Music is what makes us human. But I mean, it's, it's intrinsic to our humanity. Um, uh, I think the idea of paying for music is new. Um, mm. paying, well, the idea of recorded media is like, it's within the past 150 years, but like the way we relate to it, it's like the past 50, it's post, it's a post-war thing before that it was wire recorders, which just sound like shit. So the Germans developed magnetic tape and then after world war two, all of a sudden recording quality becomes worth a damn. Mm -hmm. Now everybody wants to collect the recordings of something that is not really meant to be repeated and nobody ever charged for recordings. And so like, there's this weird bubble where an industry pops up and like, but I think that humans are co-evolved with music to just get it for free. It's like, it's part of, you know, I think the, I think the idea of paying for music was the bubble. Um, <laughs> I think the idea of going back to things for free is normal. So in terms of Spotify, not paying artists, it's like, yeah, it sucks. Um, but it's also kind of like big picture. Maybe like humans aren't supposed to be really paying for music. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, yeah, I think saturation, you want people to be able to find you and enjoy the right. thing that you're doing. That should be like your goal at the end of the day anyway. Uh, well, I mean, clearly they're shitty people, but um, you know, I've, <laughs> I've discovered some great music on there. It's just, you know, it's just sort of like a tool. It's like, yeah. Um, I, tr I really try to support people. I support my friends and then people who I, you know, who I like, I will buy their records. Um, mm -hmm. I think Spotify is a great way to discover stuff. Um, it's really easy. They make it really easy. Um, that's part of the problem. It's a little too easy. Mm -hmm. um, right. it makes it, if everything becomes so easily available, then it loses its value. Um, I think. I agree. Bit. I mean, um, not to be a precious vinyl purist, but finding a record while you're crate digging, even if the music isn't my favorite, it's still sentimentally more valuable as a thing that I found, a physical object that I found, uh, than just whatever Spotify puts in my weekly playlist. You know, it doesn't really mean as much to me. Even if I enjoy yeah. the music, I'm still skeptical just like subconsciously because it it was provided to me by a algorithm and I don't have that immediate connection to it uh, that I would if I just found it in a, in a, in a store. And I just, the physicality know. is like tied to a time and a place in your life, which is a personal experience that yeah. you don't get from like a weekly updated playlist, you know, that's, yeah, and, it's, any, and, it's, anytime. and it's digital files that I don't even own the files. You know, I don't even, yeah. I don't even, it's not even the, and you could even say the same thing about like, uh, like torrenting or LimeWire or whatever, like, no, but those you at least have on your hard drive. That that's what I'm amazing. saying. Yeah. Well, the thing about streaming, that's so clever. It's like some brilliant lawyer came up with this idea. You're, you're purchasing a license, a license to play it off someone else's computer. Mm -hmm. You don't actually purchase mm -hmm. it. You're just purchasing a license. So that, that's why they are able to renegotiate the mechanical licensing, uh, on digital streaming. Cause like normally the way musicians really get paid is from mechanical royalties, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, 10 cents per album or something for right. each one sold on a stream, you know, since it's not actually a purchase, you're purchasing a license. It's like one thousandth of a penny or mm -hmm. something. It's um, like, it's like comically low, like yeah. not even. Yeah. 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 Um, it's true. I mean, like, 
even even like I remember when I was a kid, like when uh, pre Spotify, you know, Pandora was not even really a thing yet. And so like it was digital music. iTunes was a new thing. And so like the conversation was about like digital versus you know, uh, you know, you know, buying a a record or a CD and what, what that means. But yeah, like you said, even with MP3s and like going to trackers and and trying to download stuff, at least you still have those, even though they're virtual, it's still a, a a virtual object that you have on your machine that you can move around and place where you want and like access it. But with streaming, even that like, virtual sense of materiality is gone because it's well, it's also having like to it yeah it's a backup like i have so when i was in middle school and high school i had like a digital library of music that i was like a collector and i also bought like ucds i went to the ucd store weekly it had like a punch card for like every 10 i got like two free cds and then i traded a bunch of those in started buying like vinyl and uh, my digital, like external terabyte hard drive has music on it that I found that I can't find again. It doesn't exist anywhere. Like MySpace is wiped, Pure mm-hmm. Volume is wiped. They never put out a physical thing. The band doesn't exist. I never met a guy that like was in it. I have stuff that I can't find anywhere else. And it's like literally so personal. And I, own, I have it, you know, but nope, you can't get it. Like it's not on Spotify. So there's that aspect of like, you do have some ownership just by like, you know, archiving it. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in libraries and fixed media. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, where it's, there's a beginning and an end where it's, you know, it's an artist's vision. There's a beginning and an end, right? Like an album, Mm -hmm. a film, Mm -hmm. you know, a TV show, a movie, a thing, an object, not just an endless stream of wallpaper. Although I enjoy that sometimes too, but yeah. This world doesn't show much to be mine. Half my days are wasting time. Staring at a clock that I unplugged an hour ago Rain, ten below zero But Yahweh's everywhere I see your hair shining holy But you're giving me the eye like you wish for me to die like I fucked up again You feed me life, yeah And I love you, dear, I swear you Gotta download it off the cloud <laughs> Yeah <laughs> You have your own library <laughs> For when the power goes out I just had the power up for days I had to go back yeah. to my cassette tape collection And uh, battery-powered tape player <laughs> Oh, wow, yeah well, yeah, I was actually going to ask because uh, you've been, uh, for the listeners, if you're not listening right when this comes out, uh, we're kind of in the middle of these really brutal winter storms in Texas right now. How has that yeah, been I'm for freezing. you? freezing. <laughs> I'm in my studio right now and it's very cold. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> did you did you get power back? Um, you got power like back recently? Uh, 
Yeah. We, you know, it was fun at first, you know, got a couple little kids, you know, we're like hanging out by candlelight. You know, we have a, we have a uh, fireplace. We're keeping warm by the fire and like, you know, it was fun. You know, I'm drinking whiskey in the snow. I, you know, snowstorm is like not a big deal for most places, but in Texas, they're just so cocky and so unprepared. Oh yeah. Um, and like they didn't require the energy companies to do any uh, preparation work because that would cause them to raise prices and then they wouldn't be quote unquote, you know, business friendly. Um, it's just, it's such a scam. <laughs> and then they're on the news blaming it on wind power. Fucking joke. Oh my but God. It's, 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 Ted Cruz going, dude, going to Cancun God. is absolutely See, insane. Thing. Yeah. Well, everybody, everybody hates him, but they're just, there's such a fear here. I don't, I don't know. They've the assholes are really in charge, but there's really good people here. I mean, there well, there really are. Um, being from Florida, I can relate because like DeSantis, all that shit. Uh, like my parents are still in Florida, and they're talking to me, and I'm like, like my uncle who's like, like uh, has diabetes and like is you know has like physical problems, like doesn't qualify under like the immunity yeah. to get the vaccine, and it's like. Are you kidding me? Like you're not giving it to people that have pre-existing conditions like yeah. that? Fucking insane. Yeah. Yeah, I had to volunteer. I volunteered at a site in order to get this get the shot. Mm-hmm. They just opened it up to um like restaurant and like hospitality workers uh in New York. So like I lost I was laid off of a lot of my jobs, but one of the like one of the owners owns two of the bars I work at. So like they never went out of business. So technically they're coming back and apparently it's not difficult. So I'm going to try under this new like restaurant workers uh, category to get it in the next like week or two, if I can, my partner, she's a, a therapist. So she qualified under like mental health professional and she is getting her second one in like two weeks. So I'm ready to just fucking not worry about that for a little, like, you know, obviously still mass. I'm going to keep living the same way I've been. Cause you can't just like stop after you get it and go like maskless yeah. everywhere. But, but well, uh, it's just, I'm, it's the second time in a year I've had to like stay at in law. Well, first, I don't know. I was in the Bay area and there was like massive heat wave and fires and that was fucking crazy and coronavirus. Um, I don't know. That was hellish. Mm-hmm. And then now this um, power went out. Everything went, was like went to shit. So I was staying at an in-laws house for the second time in a year due to a disaster. <laughs> like what the hell? I mean, like, <laughs> it can happen to any of us, right? Like it's, yeah. you've, you've seen a lot, we've seen a lot of really disgusting liberal takes on Twitter specifically about how, uh, you know, people in Texas are freezing to death. Oh, well they shouldn't have voted for Republicans or they shouldn't have. It's like, they didn't, they the didn't, cities are blue here. That's yeah, the they, thing. The cities are blue. These people didn't and vote they, for the, for, yeah. to freeze to death. They didn't vote for that. Like, what are you talking about? Um, like, it's, yeah, it's, this, disgusting yeah. response yeah like, it's um we're here to take care of each other you know um nobody's perfect there's definitely some serious assholes but um we just got to help each other however we can there's you know if it makes you feel good to blame other people on twitter and give me a fucking break it's disgusting it's it's you know who has the real power here you know 
who are you who are you really really yeah, ridiculing? No, I'm, yeah, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, there's a there's a weird mentality here. It's like a distillation of a lot of things that uh, you or I would probably find distasteful. Mm-hmm. But you know, I don't feel like we're here put here on earth to judge others. You know, mm-hmm. that doesn't move in things forward you know we just do the best we can um uh, so mm-hmm. i mean that's the hope you know for that's what you hope other people <laughs> yeah think, but, i mean you know? it's just it's sometimes it's so egregious like i don't know the lies the hypocrisy you're just like give me a fucking break just well like, it's like cuomo in new york where we're at with the whole um you know nursing home shit it's like he's fucking writing a novel like a bestseller about like how yeah. good a job he did during yeah, the pandemic. The victory and all lap. <laughs> yeah. And then all this shit comes out. You, you got like an Emmy, like a daytime Emmy for giving updates. It's like, dude, you fucking had to do that. Cause it was part of your job. You, you don't get an award for that. It's literally, Come on. literally exactly like Trump. There's no meaningful. Difference well, and that's why he's going to fall so hard with these scandals. Cause it's like, dude, you're like white knighting for the world. Like people want to see you fall and you, did something fucked up, you know? Yeah, he took know. a premature victory lap. That's a big no-no. I yeah, still, literally. You know, yeah. You look politicians at politicians like, in general. You, look at, you never trust. You look at a timeline. I, I saw a timeline graph when he put his book out, and the book release date is right at the bottom of the biggest spike in like cases or deaths or whatever the stat was in New York. So like he put, he published his book about how good a job they did with the virus. And right after that book came out, the graph goes so high, like just absolutely just comical. Like it's, well, I mean, you know, people, people get away with everything. If, if I've learned anything from this second impeachment, which was obvious oh. what was going to fucking happen. Not surprised. Which is just for that. show yeah. anyway. I mean, you know, no one, it's no all one, no one in that higher echelon will ever see any consequences for their actions. I mean, it's really just, it's, it's just true. I mean, yeah, they're, they're busy scapegoating down here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's all the more egregious when like people are just patting themselves on the back all the time. Mm-hmm. I feel like, that's like a lesson from Greek mythology, hubris or whatever. Oh it's yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Just don't fucking think you got it made. Cause that's like when you wake up the gods and they come down there like, Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's see about that. <laughs> that, that's what happened to Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> oh God. God was like, yeah. God was like, no, no, sorry. Well, I mean, uh, it's just, it's bred into you from birth here in Texas. It's like, and then as it, slightly more cynical adult you're like okay they're always referring to the size of texas when they want to sell you a truck or a hamburger (laughs) Uh, yeah (laughs) but it's always about how we're number one and blah 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 but you know that's the same thing with america writ large it's like yeah they're always talking about we're the best we're the best you know this exceptionalism which if you buy into it it makes it impossible to ever improve it's so it's just really annoying it's like okay yeah we're good Okay, maybe we're good. Yeah. Can we get better? Like, please. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's definitely over the top. Um, that it's just so built into like all American like tropes of culture. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's so hard to separate it, and that's truly like all the disinformation campaigns. That's the trait that's gonna fucking 
everyone's weaponizing against us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, well, yeah, because once you start thinking that way, it basically turns off your brain. It's like mm-hmm. your critical faculties of your brain are like gone. You know? yeah. yeah, I mean, you're basically you just don't. like engaging in this like logical fallacy where like America is the best no matter what like proof is presented to you of something fucked up that they've done on like a global scale. You're like, well, but we are the best. It doesn't matter if we're like murdering people and like seizing power. We're the best because they've accepted this logical fallacy. I see this, you know, not to talk shit on anyone that is like a religious person, but it's like, you see the same kind of things with like, with like born agains that, you know, accept Christ and they're like, it doesn't matter what happens because that's the answer. So they don't have to think about anything being more difficult in the future. I mean, that's, that's the appeal is that you have a answer for any problem you have, you know, it, if you, if (laughs) like, isn't that the, isn't that like, I don't know. Like I grew up in a Christian environment. Luckily my parents didn't keep me there for too long, but, um, that's what it is. It's, it's any, any problem that you are presented with, there is an answer, no matter how convoluted or impossible to parse it is, there's always some feeling that there's an explanation to it. And if you can accept that, then you don't have to worry about these things anymore because it's just simply the way it is. And yeah, like the United States operates under the same principle, like, well, you know, student loan debt is just comically high for so many people, but that's, there's nothing we can really do about that. That's just kind of how it works. You know, you can't really can't, there's no solution to that at all. No one in power is willing to lift a finger about that. So that's just how it is. And like healthcare is like prohibitively expensive. Similarly, you know, it's like, well, you know, that's just how the, that's just how it is, you know? And we're so, we're literally like, I think also like the fact that like, yes, we have Canada and Mexico on either side of us, but wall to wall, it is the United States, like massive country. And I I know that Europe has its own problems with like its own thing, but like, don't you think like being so close together with like smaller countries, like might give you a little bit more of like a, like a appreciation for like the outside world that like things might not be the same, same in other places. And it might be okay. You know, I feel like Americans are literally isolated on this, massive continent and just kind of dismissing Mexico and Canada out of hand and just Americans don't know how to, they don't, well, they don't, well, yes. Then they also don't, I mean, Texas was Mexico, you know? Yeah. I mean, literally like, I feel like Americans just forget that the rest of the world exists. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I don't know. Um, but I mean, it's just thought termination. Like at the end of the day, like a lot of, a lot of it's comforting to just, feel like you don't need to think any harder about what's happening around you. I feel like there's like this comfort in like, well, there's nothing I can do. You know, it's like, this is just the way it is. The idea of like manifest destiny, like everything is yours for the taking, nothing like anything that is open to being claimed. And, you know, it's like we were saying like Mexico, like Texas was Mexico. And that's why I always considered uh king of the hill a 
classic Mexican American television show, but <laughs> other people don't understand. I got to explain. I got to play this podcast for them in the future so they can understand where I'm coming from. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's just, and we had isolationism, like, you mm-hmm. know, America's so big, it's vast. There's like different parts of the country almost feel like different, like parts of the world. And that's why there's like state lines and shit, but you know, they use it as an excuse to fuck with other countries for political powers and money. And, you know, it's like people aren't even aware that they're, they're participating in this like system and the society that like pushes this because, you know, it's unspoken and it's all just based around capitalism and advertising and marketing and selling yeah, things. I, I always found it really funny. Um, because I did this like public access TV opera about America. It's called Mundus Novus. <clears throat> and um, Mundus Novus was the name of the pamphlet uh, that was printed by Amerigo Vespucci. And he is the namesake of our continent. Mm-hmm. So basically America is our dude's name. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> so I always, I, I just the things that people think are God ordained or, permanent or, you know, written in the stars are actually quite arbitrary and recent. Um, like the name of our country could be Bob. <laughs> if his name was Bob America or, you know, Mario. I think, or I think it, it would be a better place if it was called Bob. The United Bob States of Mario. That's what I'm saying, dude. That's what I'm saying. I'm a me. I'd be down with it. I mean, you know, in an alternate, I, my partner and I have been rewatching this uh, Fox show from the 90s uh sliders with jerry o'connell where uh it's it's kind of like a a quantum leap and they're like traveling between different dimensions like infinite dimensions trying to get back to their original home earth and it's like i think the first episode is like they everything is the same but it's like if the soviet union took over america during the cold war and like everything is like like soviets uh, and America's like the USSR, but um, it's like that. It's like butterfly effect of some shit changing the world. Um, it's crazy. Everything yeah, would be different. <laughs> yeah, sort of like that song, a boy named Sue. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that his name was Sue made him a tough guy because everyone tried to beat him up all the time. <laughs> That's right. The norms. Fuck that shit. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the fact that we're named America or Amerigo, maybe mm-hmm. what if our name, you know, we could think we we should just think of some better names for America, you know. What was America's middle name? It's like a something awful forum thread like uh truth in in country names and it's like what should it, what it, is America supposed to actually be called if mm-hmm. it was truthful about its title? Um Incorporated. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Trump, <laughs> I guess. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, the United Fucking Corporation crazy. of White Assholes. Oh, pretty much. <laughs> Sorry. Well, yeah, okay. I mean. <laughs> hey. <clears throat> well, it's funny because it's like all the like actual like forms of expressive music that are like truly uniquely American are like stolen from uh 
people of color like jazz and fucking blues and yeah, yeah I mean, rock actual rock and roll. <laughs> yeah, black music. You know, the best music uh, in America is black music. But you know, every group's got good stuff. You know, except Toby Keith. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree, one hundred percent. This podcast does not uh, stand Answer behind Toby Keith, Toby Keith fans. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, yes, absolutely. Two, two first names. You can't trust that shit. I know. Absolutely and that's exactly not. what I'm talking about, man. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, first, the two name. first name phenomenon Pick in one. country I music. I hate it. Yeah. It's about right. That is the dead giveaway. Well, it's just, I feel like it's a rule of thumb in any industry. It's like the guy with two first names is like, like slimy, like some type of like secretive demon <laughs> in, in weight, you know? Mm. <laughs> Which I feel like also, I know you, you write um, your podcast out when you perform it, but the wording of you describing like music industry folk on one of, one of the episodes, describing them in a similar way, like rats, it's just like the perfect wording to explain like an industry that preys on, you know, like an evergreen, like youthful Oh, yeah. uh, creative mind of naivety that just is like so bright eyed to like have somebody listen to their music and they just take such advantage of it. It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. Check out my podcast, travel stationary. There's, you know, it's, um, I'm a better, uh, I'm a better writer than I am vocal improviser, but, um, yeah, it's all, it's all there. And yeah, everything is true. <laughs> and yes, you're right. It's a parasitic industry mm-hmm. and, um, you know, it's, uh, it's bizarre. Um, you know, I've seen it on both sides. Um, and yeah, it's fucked. <laughs> well, I was going to say with your podcast, I also like particularly enjoyed like the segments of you, like dissecting the songs that you did and like talking about different versions <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna do more of those. Um, I just things have gotten a little crazy, and you know, mm. I'm actually you know making more music. Um, mm. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's fun for me. Um, I feel like every you know every song is its own little world, and and to me that's like the goal. Um, it's not necessarily to do something uh, for other people. Um, it's to create a its own so every song, every album, every visual creation or whatever, it's to create a, a little world um, with its own rules and um, and people can come and enjoy it or not, but either way, it's just going to exist as its own thing. And so every song, you know, there's, I feel like with every song, there's like some weird story and all the <clears throat> iterations and, um, and the thought process. There's a lot that goes into it, you know, a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And you've like, you know, redone songs throughout different projects. Like, oh, yeah. I was going to say, even just like looking on Spotify, it's like your most current release is like the B side of like the Sunset 7 inch. Oh, yeah. Like re released. And I'm like, oh, man. Like, I watched your uh, live stream on Instagram a couple weeks ago. Yeah before I messaged you and I, you were playing music and I requested that song um, and you played it. And I, I look on your Spotify and I'm like, this is just released as 2020. Like, it's awesome that there's like an, a new updated <laughs> version of a B side that I put on like mixes for people when I was like 19 in college, you know? 
Yeah, well, um, I that was just one of those songs that had slipped through the cracks. Um, I'd always liked that song. It had never been digitally released, um, so um, it was just as a it was a B side of a seven inch. So, um, you know, I guess when I upload things, I can backdate it, but I just didn't even bother to. So, yeah, according according to the cloud, it's new, but yeah, it's old. <laughs> Speaking of which, I have uh, I have two copies of that seven inch, so the other co-host can like fight or like do things uh, that delight me in order to compete for the other copy because mm. somehow right. I ended up two, two copies of that. You guys are, can be in competition, like uh, like I'll threaten to cut it in half, and if one of you is like, no, mm. don't don't destroy the music then uh, you will be the rightful owner of the 7-inch. Um, yeah, it's yeah. 45 RPM, you know, so it's, to me, it's like an ideal way of listening to music. Um, I actually have a 45 RPM jukebox. Um, mm. That's like my prized possession right now. <laughs> Tube-powered. That thing is amazing. So it's you can just load up all spot. your 7-inches and just pick uh, one? No, well... No, I just have 45 one. singles. I have one, but yeah, I've got some really good shit in there. Um, yeah, it's great. Nice. Yeah. Well, you have to get the big hole 45s, you know? Like uh, yeah. Style. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I was watching your uh, stories and you were playing like the cure. <laughs> earlier oh yeah. Today. I've got a bunch of the cure and craft work and oh, yeah. ELO and Roger Miller and like 13th floor elevators and like, <laughs> you know, all the best shit. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I you know I love this stuff from the '60s the best. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, well 70s. zombies, the zombies. Oh yeah, like, oh you yeah. Know. I've got like four or five of their singles on there. They had a a signing at the Rough Trade store in Brooklyn a couple of years ago that my buddy Josh went to and I didn't go to, but <laughs> um, you know for some like new release thing and apparently it's like you could bring one thing to get signed, but they would not sign odyssey and oracle albums that's you know i i did a podcast episode about seeing the zombies um <laughs> you should find it it's a ways I'm, back I, i'm gonna find it yeah because uh, it was curious. a very disillusioning experience it, i would put it up there with seeing brian wilson or bob oh, dylan um yeah. uh you know these people who are heroes and then you see them live and it's just like jesus fucking christ <laughs> like, mm-hmm. i talked about seeing <laughs> yeah <laughs> Colin Bloodstone comes out in like leather pants and he's like, uh, he's going like, oh, baby, oh, oh, and kind of doing that grunty blues thing. Yeah. And I'm like, what in the hell? Because, you know, Odyssey and Oracle is this very delicate, um, ethereal, you know, dreamlike album. And uh, <laughs> definitely not leather pants and grunting. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I saw. Dylan in college, he came, so I went to college in Orlando and I was like, you know, I grew up being a huge Dylan fan and I was like, you know what? He's coming. Students get $15 tickets. Like if I didn't go to school here, it'd be like 60 or $70. So I was like, you know, I should see him. He's probably going to die soon. Keep in mind, this is like 2009. I was like, he's probably going to die soon. I should see him before he dies. And it literally was one of the worst experiences of my life oh, and yeah. really makes That's how me... That's I felt seeing Bob it, Dylan as well. It diminishes it hurts. my vision of his genius. Oh, yeah. 
he played guitar on one song. His, he stood behind a keyboard for the rest. All of his, the rest of his band were like 24 year old, like hired guns. And all of the songs were like adult contemporary versions of previous hits. And it was just so bad. When I saw Bob Dylan, the good thing was, was that Bob Weir opened for him and Wilco. So I got to see Bob Weir and Wilco. So that was, that was kind of fun at least. And this, this old man came out and yeah, no one really well, knew. Bob Weir's also on. pretty old. Well, but, yeah. you know, well, a true he wears like those a, like toe sandal, toe shoes. He sure does. <laughs> like at shows. <laughs> the vibrant ones. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Dude. I wow. mean, where's the two cool. gigs? <laughs> Yeah. If you're and gonna those, like, be capri at the... pants with like webbing on oh them. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's it's called lot attire. <laughs> you know, uh, lot attire. Lot attire. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I remember that because I went to like a music festival in South Florida called like Langerado that I feel like Bob Weir and Wilco both played. So it was probably on like some tour. But mm. Dylan wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just I don't know. He's like. He's still putting out new albums that are getting like good reviews. And I'm like, dude, how much is he paying for these fucking good reviews? Because I worked at a record store when a newer Dylan album came out in like 2011 or something. And it got all this praise. And we would play it in the store because it was like selling well. And I'm like, was it Tempest? Maybe, but it was just like not hitting. You know what I mean? I mean, what reviewer was the one I'm thinking of? What reviewer wants to give Dylan a bad score? Just like if you're a music reviewer, you don't want to give. Well, yeah, but how many honest music journalists are there out there, really? You know, who aren't beholden to any like, you know, sways in opinion or just like the status quo well, of it. You know, just just Anthony Fantano. He's the only one previous guest of the pod. <laughs> the needle drop. Apparently. Anthony Fantano is the last. It, well, living... he did. He did invent music criticism famously. It's true. So he, he he's it's true. the only um, one who knows how to do it correctly. Apparently. <laughs> You know, the, the Roger Ebert of the, the music world. <laughs>
Oh man, I'm gonna watch that wa- Roger yeah. Ebert documentary later. The life. Did itself. you see the movie he wrote? It. Wait, he that he wrote. Roger yeah, he wrote Ebert? a movie called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, and it's fucking amazing. Oh, I've heard Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. I've heard. Yeah, of that. that is an incredible movie, and it's got like a lot of rock and roll stuff. There's a character in there based on Phil Spector, um, mm. Ronnie Z-Man Bartell. Yeah, that's like very interested. It's one of the best B movies ever made. It's it's a uh, Russ Meyer, uh, uh-huh. but yeah. but like written by Roger Ebert. The only movie. Oh damn! Wrote. You need I'm, to I'm watch into it that ASAP. I'm gonna do a a double feature of that, and then I'm gonna watch the doc about his life, life itself. After because mm-hmm. I was just watching. Um, I've been watching like for like the fiftieth time, like the Larry Sanders show, the HBO Gary Shandling. Con- comedy and uh they just did the episode with like gene siskel was on it and uh they like famously didn't get along and it's just reminded me i gotta watch this ebert shit again man r.i.p yeah you didn't have to see covid so i really liked his reviews i really liked him he was a very i don't know i felt like he was very generous yeah and uh he just loved film yeah that's you know you you could see the passion and it's like no bullshit. And I feel like that's also like a Chicago, like Midwest kind of vibe, which is, you know, his whole thing. Just like no bullshit. He's going to tell you like it is. That's how John Prine busted out from, because Roger Ebert saw him randomly in a bar and then like wrote about him in the paper. So that's pretty cool. Is that true? Wow. I didn't know that. That's yeah. That's crazy. I mean, RIP John Prine too this year. Fucked up, man. Yeah. His, he's great, but, yeah, that first album of his, a self-titled record, is uh, it's a, I don't know, it's a very important record to me personally. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, man. Did you did you do any? I know a lot of artists did like tributes and recorded like covers. Did you do any John Prine stuff after um, that? No, no. I mean, yeah, that's. I've done, I, I do stuff when I'm asked. Uh, I, I cover things all the time, but yeah, I mean, it's like, I can't cover every single, it's like, there's so many greats who are coming up on the end right now, you know? Um, right. I don't know if I can cover every single one who's going to die, every guitarist, bass player, drummer, and singer, like, because they're just, it's like every few months, they're just going to keep oh, going. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. I was going to say, tying it back to your podcast and the whole uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers one, you did do a uh, <laughs> Under the Bridge acapella, yeah, yeah. or no, it was an acapella, it was a karaoke yeah. cover at the end of the episode, which... I've always said I go I go on record that I hate the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Under the Bridge is the only good song, but only the verses, not the chorus, which I hate. Um, so I did thoroughly enjoy that karaoke. You did pick the only song that I would have considered like leaving, finishing the episode of the podcast to hear. Well, yeah, I mean, John, John Frusciante's guitar playing on that song is objectively great, but you know, the problem with that band has always been Anthony Keat. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, um, his kind of scat thing. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's just, I, it's just not to my taste. Um, yeah, I have this very famous <laughs> piece of content about the Red Hot Chili Peppers that they made the same album ten times. And it just says, did you know the Red Hot Chili Peppers made the same album 10 times and nobody noticed? It's been, it's, it's a very, prol- very prolific image. It's been across the web. Um, well, didn't I we have a friend? Greatest hit. 
Yeah, stand by it. We have a friend that used to post uh, on her Instagram, like somehow her and Anthony Kiedis were like texting and he was like texting her and she was like, you know, like <laughs> a girl in New York in her 20s. And he was like, she would text with him and then screenshot it and post it online. <laughs> and I feel like recently she found his number and tried again and he he didn't like know he was like who is this it didn't work out but uh you guys know it's haunted toilet uh our friend brianna had like some type of like exposing his like creepiness that rings a bell i do remember the public world over the past couple years occasionally Mm -hmm. yeah she would bring it up i wonder what the story i'm gonna have to dig deeper we've got to invite her on the podcast i've ever tell the yeah. definitive story of we'll anthony kiedis we'll, we'll, texts we'll get to the bottom of it but yeah everyone knows that dude fucking sucks and uh red hot chili peppers garbage garbage <laughs> you know josh uh, frischianti is making like a 200 bpm uh house music now he's like back in the band system. i thought I thought he was back in Red Hot Chili Peppers. I see this review from 2020. Red Hot Chili Peppers' John Frusciante just released a new solo album. So how does it fare? And it says right here, the record falls on from a string of releases under such title. Frusciante excites his electronic music lobe, taking punters on some sort of Aphex Twin-like trip through space. And he's got like a 5U, like M-O-T, what's that guy called? Uh, I don't like that. I don't like, like that at all. That's not synthesizer right for him. in the back. <laughs> Damn. I don't know, man. He is uh, the he is the other Aphex twin, apparently. Mm, well, he was the only this. he was he is like the most talented person to ever be involved oh. in Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah. Unless you consider Fleas acting in like the Big Lebowski or whatever the fuck, like True. important. Well, you know, <laughs> Flea, Flea did that thing with Tom York that was pretty cool. The Adams for Peace. That was kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I, like I don't know. Album. I worked, I worked at the record store when that came out and I debated buying it because we had like the limited singles that uh, were like yeah. reflective. Mm. And I was like, I'm not going to want this. I, I think <laughs> it's good, dude. It's a good album. It's like Nigel, Nigel Goodrich also yep. like did, he's like in the band. Yeah. He does this some, time. Uh, some it's all right. programming. It's all I right. I prefer Johnny Greenwood's work outside oh, yeah. of the group. Definitely. To, uh, oh yeah. His, I would uh, definitely agree with that. His soundtracks are you know, really outstanding uses of indeterminacy and, um, mm. you know, just crazy. <laughs> I don't know, all sorts of weird conduction methods. Um, and I don't, they're masterpieces. He gets some really without interesting like, sounds out of an orchestra, like even on radio like, stuff um, too, like the, um, all I need. I think I read that there's oh, this yeah. in the, in the big climax of the song, he just had them like bowing, like not even harmonics, but just like he, he was trying to make like a white noise background. And I think the they were trying to emulate the um, like th- the kind of like overwhelming wall of sound you get when you're playing something really loud in a big space, like a like a hall or something. But they couldn't they were trying to figure out how to emulate that in the studio. And so his solution was to have the whole o- orchestra like mute their strings, but bow so like if you listen to the end of that song, it should it sounds like like a reverb, like a like a some sort of reverb processing, but it's like it, they're just literally making these crazy harmonics on their strings. I don't know. Mm. So one of one of the worst experiences I've had in New York going to a performance, um, I I bought 
one ticket to go by myself to go see There Will Be Blood in Manhattan with an orchestra play the Johnny Greenwood score. So I bought a ticket and I went and I get there. It's like 10 minutes before showtime. And it's, you know, it's in like a fancy like orchestra theater in the city. And I go in the lobby and order a double whiskey because I'm like, I'm going to sit in this movie, you know, I'll get like a big drink. And it's like, I think it was like, like 40 bucks or something, because of course that's like what it would be. And then Might as well buy a bottle. I, 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 I tip the guy, whatever. And then I go to go in and they're like, Oh no, um, no drinks inside. <laughs> mm. And it was like about to start. So I was like, fuck, I have like this giant glass of whiskey that I have to finish. And like, why didn't the guy at the bar tell me, that I only had like three minutes and I couldn't bring it in or whatever. Doesn't make difference to him. Keep in mind, I didn't mention this yet, but I also ate a bunch of weed edibles before I went. Oh man. <laughs> Figures I would probably fall in line there. I just of course. So yeah. I chug like half of the whiskey and I'm like, that's it. I can't do more than that. And I just like dump it and I run in and the whole movie I had literally the driest mouth I've ever had in my entire (laughs) life. And it was the worst, literally the worst experience because the whole time I was just like, Oh man, I really want to like get up and go get a drink. But like, I don't think you could like go out and come back in. It was like a performance, you know, like a a play, like they shut the door and it's like, if you go out, you can't come back in until like intermission or whatever. And it was literally like, like a two and a half I was like movie. choking. I was like choking on my tongue like the whole time. Jesus. And like cracked out like in my head on the weed. It was uh, a <laughs> and you know, it wasn't cheap. It was probably like 60 bucks to go see it. Wow. Um sensory memories. Very difficult. I but you know, I, I think I came out a better person for having experienced gone through it. <laughs> and now every time I watch there will be blood when I'm high, I make sure I have like a bottle of water. I should have like if I had the foresight, I would have had like a secret flask of water, like a belt buckle secret flask of water or whatever. Some like I don't know. However, people used to sneak liquor into like clubs in the nineties or whatever, like mm-hmm. in mm. the heel of a shoe or something. Oh, fuck <laughs> the heel no. of a shoe. <laughs> yeah, you discreetly take, discreetly take your shoe off in the theater and try to fumble around with the heel of it. You know, discreet. Hey man, or like a, a camelback like suit jacket. Yes. You know, that's like throughout mm. the suit, like it, it's like filtered the entire length of the suit. I, love it. I don't know. Could work. Can make millions. Yeah, um, yo, Bill, uh, I want to say thanks for coming on. Did you, did you have anything you want to plug? Tell people where they can find you, your website and stuff? Um, my website is my name five times. Bill, 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 Bill com. I love the um, website too. It's got the classic like old school website feeling where you have like the collection of links that are friends with the site and everything. It yeah, I like it solid. when it's all on one page like that. Um, mm-hmm. I like the fact that I w- wrote the website myself and it was like, I didn't have to pay anyone to do it. And it was pretty straightforward to do. Also has a guest book, which is rare. I love yeah, the guest I like book guest feature. books. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm a big fan of the guest book. I also like chat rooms and, yeah. you know, kind of the older things that I think will come back uh, eventually, or maybe they're still around. I just, I'm unfamiliar, but mm-hmm. I do like guest books. I like site counters and, uh, 
There's nice. like nostalgia around that era of the internet right now, which is, you know, I'm part of it because who doesn't miss when the internet was less complicated and intertwined in our fucking everyday, every yeah. thought, every action mm-hmm. of life. And it was actually fun to go on there and like find things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my website will, you know, I've had like a million incredible experiences. Um, I could bore you to tears telling you about them, but you know, I, I do a podcast at, talks a lot about them it's called travel stationary it's on apple podcasts it's on spotify there's like 20 episodes there's gonna be more um you can find my music on spotify bill baird and like you know there's like it runs the gamut from orchestral to like sensitive to sarcastic to rock and roll you know it's generally psychedelic but i don't know what that means it just means a lot of the actions taking place inside your head um and uh, yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Thank yeah, man. Everybody, on. I encourage everyone to check it out. Like, like Bill was saying, throughout the discography, and like even mentioned in the conversation, like you're talking about being interested in sound, and it's like there's really like a Brian Eno like thought process behind like everything you do, and like how people take it in, and it's unique, and a lot of artists don't consider these things and it's cool man i love it yeah i mean i don't it's like i don't want to be a blowhard you know i work really hard and um i'm trying to get better like my i've released a lot of albums <laughs> like um i don't claim for them any of them to be perfect sometimes i get closer to the mark sometimes it's further away but you know on at least one at least once an album i'm looking for a moment of illumination you know and um if i can find that then it was a it was a success, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you also have fun. Like, I, I, oh, yeah. I would kick myself if I didn't plug one of, like, the best things I've seen in a long time, which is that video you made of Ken Burns saying jazz <laughs> three billion times. Uh, yeah. That, yeah, that kind of, it was weird when that, I mean, I don't really know anything about viral whatever, but, um, <laughs> it was like wow more people have seen this video than have listened to my music <laughs> dude i mean it's honestly like it's an art piece like by the end of it like all the layering yeah. and the way like the patches of video that you have of him saying it like come in and out of the screen it's like it's literally like it is it is music like you turn it into like a performance like, yeah uh, yeah it's the notion of alchemy which is you know turning shit into gold and um so it's, you know, that's the, that's the challenge to make it actually interesting. I mean, it's, it's funny, like him saying jazz is kind of absurd, but then you can actually make it interesting if you scale it the right way. I did another one. I was hesitant to share it. It was like Donald Trump saying China, the exact number of times of the citizens of China, which I thought might like cast a spell on him or, or something. <laughs> no, that one was also sick. Honestly, I, uh, I yeah, that, like, I mean, written down next to it. It was not. It, I, I I preferred Ken Burns just because the Ken Burns is way more just like non sequitur. Like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> the, the the Trump one. I was hesitant to share just because I didn't really want to talk about him, but um, put him yeah. into the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Those are those things are awesome, and it's like you know it's fun. It's like a little deviation, like from like doing a serious like thing. Oh yeah. Know? I'm definitely not like a, I, I mean, I think it get, 
sometimes it gets serious, sometimes it gets sensitive or personal, but I'm definitely not like a serious person. Mm. Um, uh, so <laughs> it's, you know, if you just a cursory exploration, will you'll see the humor everywhere. <clears throat> And uh, I'm also going to implore all the listeners to sign up. I'm like, I've long been on your like email lists, which are always like interesting and like unique and thought out. I feel like over time I pop in and see an update. So uh, everybody sign up for that too. Cause it's fucking cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't actually know how you would do that. Just send an email to me. My email <laughs> is blonde bill, B L O N D E at Gmail. But, you know, that's on my website, which is my name five times. That's probably easy to remember. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna put, um, yeah, we'll link it in the podcast. Put, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for coming on, man. It's awesome. Very, very fun talking. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks yeah, so yeah. much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Peace, bye. everybody. All right. Bye.